space, the final frontier. It's actually getting closer and closer to uh, reality and possibility that we might um, be raising children and even die on other planets. Um, that's all cool, but what happens if we find life out there? What does that mean? Let's go. Hey there, I'm Thomas. And I'm Sam. And this is the Silent Planet Podcast. Today, we are discussing space. Space. Uh, We're looping it back to our first episode where we we talked about it. Back to our roots. Yeah, yeah. Out of the Silent Planet by... Uh, C.S. Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. I was about to say Tolkien. I don't know why, but he's always like, anytime I go to fantasy books written by Christian, they were writing at the the same time. So it's easy to get them mixed up. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, we're, we're discussing space, uh, space travel, exploration, um, things like that today and kind of what that means for our culture and, and Christianity in general. But I'm, I'm excited because we, we've got a, a a longtime friend, uh, for both of us here with us today, Ryan Haar. Say hi, Ryan. Hello. What are you doing there, bud? Oh, I'm just sitting here thinking about space things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've known Ryan since I was um, maybe about 12 years old, I'd say, 12 or 13. And then, Sam, you've known Ryan since he was born. Born. Uh, yeah, I probably, or right after yeah. therein, because Mary was already a member at Forest Park when we uh, started dating and courting and all of that and um and i was just so cute you yeah had me in your wedding yeah we had him in our <laughs> wedding he was our ring bearer and, and look at him uh, all grown up 12 yeah. years old <laughs> his only request was he wanted to ride in the limo with us and we're like sold <laughs> that's yeah. fair it was it, worth it the only 12 yeah. year old i've seen with a beard how do you do it man <laughs> lots of lots of coffee uh it's just giving away my age uh, that was back in 2002 I, I won't talk about we won't talk about that in general just to save you just the, to save me from yeah, uh, there's a lot of a lot of things that you were doing from Thomas's early old adult man life. jokes. Yeah, <laughs> well, you were you were doing a lot of things in your early adult life where I, I like was the day after I was being born. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I regularly make reference to when I graduated high school and <laughs> or yeah. or when I graduated college and yeah, Thomas yeah. will tell us how old he was at that point and. You know, it's like days. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not very old. Three days old. <laughs> With a speck in your father's eye or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, Ryan, you're you're not uh, obviously no, um, like, master's degree, like, scholar level. I've been doing this for 80 years. But you actually have quite an you, – you impress me all the time. You have quite an extensive knowledge on space stuff. I, I assume just because it just fascinates you. Yes, uh, space stuff is really cool just because it... You can hear how uneducated I am when I call it space stuff. No, I mean, I call it <laughs> space stuff too, and I know a decent amount. I wouldn't say I know a lot. Yeah. But, I mean, it's exciting just because that is, well, like, it is like the typical line, the final frontier, but it really mm-hmm. is. I mean, granted, we know less about, like, the oceans than we do space, like they always say, but that's pretty easy to explore if we chose to do so which is the reason why they haven't because space is much more alluring when you have trillions of light years of space and stuff to explore. And I mean, with us eventually getting to the level of going there, that's just one of the main reasons why it uh, 
interests me so much. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a very big fan, as I've said a thousand times on this podcast, and I'll keep it going until he does something absolutely insane. Very big fan of Elon Musk. And uh, he, he's been doing some tremendous things to kind of push us in that direction, I think, um, with space exploration specifically. Um, he and all of his um, billions of dollars and, and, you know, Dogecoin influence and all that stuff. Um, but like he, he's made comments such as like he, you know, plans to die on Mars, which is a bold statement, but I, I've, you know, from anybody else in the world, I'd be like, that's okay. That's, I mean, that's kind of silly, but coming from him, when he's got all these goals that he's still, it's still on, eccentric, it's eccentric, but he <laughs> but keeps he blowing all it. these goals out. Well, like he, of all people that I know that would make claims like this, he'd be the first person I would go, yeah. you know, actually I think he might, <laughs> he's crazy enough that he would do it mm-hmm. and he's motivated and also has the financial freedom enough to do it. I think he would. Well, you say he's eccentric, yet uh, if you follow SpaceX, uh, like I do, mm-hmm. um, actually just today they launched the uh, third full-scale test. And this is March 3rd, by the way, so when this comes out, it'll be much later, but yeah. continue. Fair so enough. He's launched, so go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they just launched the third prototype of uh, a full-scale Starship, which they will eventually be using to go to Mars, carry 100 people at a time or 100 metric tons. Wow. <laughs> Lost my air. Yeah, so you ran out of breath, didn't you? <laughs> 100 metric tons at a time to Mars, and that is a fully reusable vehicle that will cost somewhere in the range of $400 a kilogram down from the 10 years ago, which was $40,000 a kilogram. Now, this is something they've today put in orbit no it's not put in orbit right now that's the thing that makes spacex as a free market company much better than nasa so nasa has been working on like the space launch system for 20 years Uh and they haven't even launched the rocket they just did a test firing of it like a few months ago and spacex they were started and literally after they started the project on sls um and they've already built the Falcon rocket, as you know, and or at least as I think you know. <laughs> but and then um, the Starship, they are doing what's called rapid iteration with that. They just built the first prototype at all of any kind uh, last year, and they did a short hop test with their uh, new engine that they made, and then the the beginning or in April not April, August, they did a few more hop tests with full-scale uh, prototypes. And then just in December, this February, and now March, they did three separate uh, launches. That's actually really impressive and uh, very, uh, very exciting. I don't know. I don't know why this stuff excites me. I think it's probably the the unknown. It doesn't excite me enough to, to do as much research as you've done, but I, I was paying attention to the Perseverance landing, um, which happened, what, two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, something like that? A week and a half ago. Our first picture is from, from the rover, which I've got pulled up. And sorry to all you people listening, this is not a video podcast. You don't get to see the glorious pictures, but if you go to mars.nasa.gov, you can see um, the first images from this landing. And it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. It's uh, really barren looking, but still. Well, it matches what we've seen in several of the movies when they kind of set something on Mars, Total yeah. Recall or whatever. That's because this is a movie set and we didn't actually yeah. land it. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't actually it land looks, on the moon either. It, it, there's not a lot, uh, but like desert rock is what it looks like. But 
still, it, it looks like, you know, going out to the desert. So you say it's desert rock, but that's the actual explicit purpose of this mission is to attempt to find more than just desert rock. Uh-huh. They actually want to find signs of life. Yeah. Not bones or big life or anything like that, but microbial life potentially. Yeah. yeah was just plant life of or the former existence of plant life would still have been a big anything they can find. That, yeah. which, you know, which kind of brings us and circles us back to our original episode, the very first one here. What happens if they do find it? Like life, like actual life. What does that mean, you know, for Christianity? Do we I mean at that point do we start questioning the Bible since there's no um there's there's no like contextual evidence of of additional planets so we what are we doing at that point you know it would feel to me like um it'd get back to that passage that talks about the heavens declare the glory of god like if god kind of is the source of life right i think even somebody with a very very rudimentary definition of who god is would say well we kind of accredit him for the creation of all life and finding evidence of life in places where you wouldn't expect to find it, it seems to me that's more of, you know, kind of the heavens declaring the glory of God, you know, the, that his, his work, his handiwork is, is evident, even if we reach as far as Mars to find it, right? And it depends on what kind of life we're talking about. Yeah, I'm just assuming we find, say, evidence of former plant life, Something like that. I would say that's pretty strong. Still, heaven's declaring the the glory of God. Um, it, we'd be in a whole separate uh, uh, theological quandary if, yeah, they were you little know, green men. Yeah, met by somebody <laughs> who had their own language, arms and had their own culture, had their own society. Um, that that might propose then the the um, missionary imperative that we talked about back during our. Our first episode, if we were to find life in other planets, then you would then kind of treat it the same as you would if we reach an unchurched people group. How can the church kind of reach into that people group and um, kind of in a peaceful way um, address the gospel message? Drawing with sticks yeah. in the, sta- in the yeah. sand. Well, yeah, and you'd have to initially. But that's the, all of those first steps, the process of those first steps, um, are. Um, it's kind of like you have to reinvent the wheel each mm-hmm. time you do that when you're reaching out to a, a group of people that seriously have no connection to um, the the gospel message as we, as we know it and understand it, they probably also don't have any connection to things like modern technology. They may not even have like a, a structure to their, their, like an alphabet to their language. Mm. I know, um, uh, that was when, uh, um, family members I have that have worked with Wycliffe and have, uh, gone to, uh, it was an Eskimo group and that they were reaching out to and trying to draw the, gospel to them well part of that is trying to get the bible in their language they didn't really have a written form of language so you know it had to start with we've got to create an alphabet here and then we've got to figure out words and the best way to go about in in a process of translation and you know that part that part takes years but you're also bringing with it you're bringing with it this idea of literacy and kind of um uh new teachings and possible technology there's a lot that can be offered along with trying to get the gospel message to a new people. 
right? That, that often comes with like building wells and schools and orphanages and things like that when, you know, you're initially going to uh, a group that doesn't have that stuff, you know. That's just to say people that would, I mean, theoretically could be found on like Mars because there's no way, uh, currently speaking at least, there's no way that we could possibly know if there's life on other planets unless they were more advanced than we were. Right. Because, I mean, the nearest star system is four uh, light years away, which, I mean, at our current technology would take 40,000 years at the fastest craft that's ever gone to get there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, it seems to me it's probably more likely that we uh, are able to kind of move off this planet and onto others than finding highly advanced uh, intelligence on uh, other worlds. Um, I, I wonder sometimes when I'm thinking about, have you all seen the movie uh, Interstellar? Mm -hmm. Wonderful With, movie. Yeah, yeah you like that excellent. one too? And the closer they get to the black hole, because they, they go through like this wormhole thing, and they had, they're trying to visit three separate um, planets that might potentially be places that, you know, life could be sustained. The first one they arrive at, though, is kind of on the edge of um, uh, the gravitational pull of a black hole. Not close enough that it's getting sucked in, but it's it's close enough to this, like, um, the event horizon that physics starts working weird, right? Which is actually true. Yeah. It's incredibly scientific. Yeah. And it's, it's, awesome. it's really, really... To, to what extent? I know there's a point where they're on this planet where it's like, what seven minutes is, or like a minute is equal to a year, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So the way, I mean, the way that is that, that works, is that like a legit theory, or, or it's not a theory. It's it's science. <laughs> yeah. So what what happens with that? Because space and time are both physical. They are kind of like fluid. So when you start going faster, you're the the time is still flowing the same speed for those people who are outside of that event horizon. But your time is essentially slowed down because of how gravity and light and crazy stuff works. And so, so you're you're perceiving it like a normal reality, or are you perceiving it just like deathly slow? What no? So you're perceiving it like a normal reality, but as long as you're not in the black hole, if you're in the black hole, there's a bunch of weird things that would happen to you. But obviously, you would eventually die. Yeah, it's like After before it stretched. tore you apart. No, yeah. Well, yeah, not before you it stretches you apart. for. It would stretch you first, and it would. And but you would still snap, be alive. Right? No, because it's not actually physically stretching you. Oh. So it's stretching your atoms. It, it's it's a weird thing that I can't pretend I actually know how it works. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I know that it stretches you and all kinds of stuff. But I feel like that's terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> it is, it's a good thing we're not near a black hole. <laughs> you, hey, anybody that wants to gain a few inches, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yes. I feel like Elon that Musk might be a, like uh, on his bucket list is something like throw a Tesla into a black hole or something <laughs> with a camera. Would. Yeah, I feel like he would, and I feel like he'd be very successful as well at yeah. some point. Well, I, I was thinking in terms of like if um, if we could figure out a way to actually travel four light years to the next star in within what would be, you know, a reasonable amount of time for somebody to make that trip, whatever that would mean, how fast that thing would have to be going, what kind of other laws of physics would be stretched and broken in that process? And is it possible then that, you know, you, you it, it becomes more of a time travel thing? There's what if they get there 
And they're like, okay, this is great. We started our first colony. Let's go back and get more people. And in their process of coming back, going there and coming back, they, they arrive and it's our past. So it's like future people arriving in our past. Mind blown. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. hey, maybe that's what all these UFOs are. It's so, us coming back. Speaking Time travel of- is actually not possible backwards. Oh, really? It's possible Forward. forwards because you're the one that's actually going slowly, even though you're going really fast, it, which doesn't make sense. But all So you're the, the remnant of the past going. arriving in the future. Exactly. Oh, okay. So, so I had it backwards. You can't actually go back in time. There's no physical possible way, even in theoretical science, to actually do that. But No, no, no. I saw Endgame. Okay, and I know that's not true. If the, Avengers- the quantum zone, <laughs> the quantum realm. Yeah. If, if Ant Man could figure it out, there's actually theoretical science, by the way, on what you said of going to a faster, like uh, faster than light uh, travel, which a uh, scientist has proven the theory that if you displace time because it is physical, mm-hmm. that time wa- essentially, it sounds crazy in sci-fi, but that time wave will then rush back in to fill that void and then thus propel a ship faster than light. But the only downside to that is the amount of energy required to power said thing would be more than our sun produces, right. more than our sun will ever produce. If we're if we're as wow. irresponsible as we are with the internet, I could not imagine. <laughs> and Facebook, <laughs> we can't right. get along on Facebook. How are we going to pull this off? Right. <laughs> you have the power to blow up something bigger than the sun. Have yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Society is their only given. There's a professor. I don't remember who his name was. He gave a uh, a technologically advanced society like ours at most ten thousand years to survive as a whole before it collapses in on itself due to a multitude of factors uh, being natural disaster, wars, all kinds of different things. So that actually goes into why there we might have not, even if there is theoretically life in the universe, which I don't necessarily think there is, but even if there was, that might be why we've never seen it because they can't get along well enough mm-hmm. as a species right. to get to us. That's why they say that alien movies are very unrealistic because no alien that's actually achieve the technological ability to traverse the galaxy would uh, still be in a state of wanting to kill other species or take their stuff. They've already got all the stuff they need. Right, yeah. They've already conquered all their differences. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Also to say, I mean, I've, I was watching um, one of the Joe Rogan podcast episodes. He had somebody on there. They were talking about um, like the existence of, of alien life and, and, you know, if it's possible, and I actually really thought it was a very interesting point that this guy made, but he, he basically said, um, if there was alien life at this point, and, and we're at this position where we can observe so much, we can see so much just with our own technology, we would have seen somebody or something at this point, I think. Unless they're trying to stay hidden. Yeah. I mean, even if I mean, they if were at but this I, point, even I if they were trying thought- to stay hidden, like I highly doubt we... I highly doubt somebody or something somewhere wouldn't have made a mistake at this point. Well, think about it. The primitive uh, objective, is that what it's called in Star Trek? That would make sense for a I don't a know. I watched Star Wars. so I mean, I've watched both. But the, <laughs> it makes sense for a species that's that advanced. They would make sure to not come in contact with a uh, species that isn't spacefaring. I mean, yeah. it's arguable that we're on the cusp of spacefaring civ- civilization. But... 
a species would not make contact with or mess with the the natural order of yeah the yeah. natural order of earth things. human beings yeah our growth as a species um, with their technology because we have not achieved the the harmony needed to the cul- traverse yeah. the galaxy. We're not yeah. culturally developed enough to once again be responsible for it. And we're, <laughs> if they observe how we behave on Facebook again, right. I don't think they'd be like, Hey, here's we ain't a, going anywhere here, near that way. Here's a phaser gun that can literally obliterate <laughs> that, atoms. Have fun. <laughs> that, that silent planet boy. You watch what they say on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're not ready for warp speed. <laughs> <laughs> warp speed. I'm a warp, warp speed away from this conversation. Yeah. Warp speed away from my uh, yeah, family and, <laughs> And all that canceling. You know, UFO sightings, though, speaking of existence and non-existence, I find it interesting. Um, UFO sightings, uh, this is ABC News, by the way, they reported on this, um, January of last year, nearly jumped to almost 6,000 in 2019, which is actually double what it was in 2018. And I, I wonder if this is people just being locked in their houses and yeah, have possibly. nothing better to do. Cabin fever. <laughs> yeah, there was a American Airlines, though, pretty recently, an American Airlines case where they asked if there were, because they were flying over New Mexico or something, they, they said, is there anything going on in the area right now? Because something just flew over us. And they figured, you know, maybe military's testing something. Uh, uh, they, of course, denied that they were testing anything, but um, they actually have like the recordings of the pilot calling in to, you know, ask, Hey, is there anything, something just flew overhead, you know, like they, they saw it. (laughs) So, uh, so yeah, that, that one wouldn't be because someone's stuck in their home. That one would be actually because, you know, it was in the air and so was the plane (laughs) and the guy saw it out his window I just find it interesting that uh, I I don't actually have statistics on this, but I imagine from what I've seen off of documentaries and things like that, a vast majority of UFO sightings take place suspiciously near government testing facilities. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I honestly any of those because there is there's actually so there's there's the videos. This is the, our very first episode. We covered right. this. The the UFOs that are the videos that the government finally they they declassified and they were like, yeah, there's nothing. There's no sensitive information that's going to give away uh, or make like be a weakness for us. So we'll go ahead and declassify this. We have no idea what this object was. And you hear these two guys on the radio or whatever, you know, walkie talkie, whatever. I'm no uh, expert on military communications, but they're talking about this thing. And they're like, yeah, look at it go. Wow. It's crazy. And you watch the video and it's this like little gray, looks like a spacecraft just zipping, making these aerial maneuvers that none of our planes and ships can make like at all. And, and they've at at the very least confirmed that it is a real video, um, that it is a UFO. They have no clue what it is, but it's not ours. Propaganda. You, oh, you really? I I don't know. El- if elaborate. It's actually, no, no. Elaborate. Go ahead. I don't know if it's actual propaganda, but I would reckon to say that the U.S. military would love to declassify something to make something even more classified. So by telling people you have no idea what's going on here, or even maybe faking the video completely. Um, you're throwing people off of what you actually want by confirming there's a potential of aliens by the government saying, oh, we can't tell you if there are or aren't because we don't know what that was. 
People aren't going to question the government about their super secret gray spy plane that just flew overhead. It's a good point. I kind of chalked it up to, well, yeah, maybe there was a a department that knew about it that they didn't know. I don't know. Or maybe it was just a different like countries, technological advances. But yeah, it's a fair point. Yeah, because I mean, I also don't think that necessarily classified things are the only classified things out there. I could almost guarantee that there are things that only a handful of people know about because it's so secret. I mean, if you take the Manhattan Pro- the Manhattan Project during World War II when they were working on the nuclear bomb, only I think it was 55 people knew the, in the full extent of what they were actually making. One mm-hmm. of them was the president. Not even the vice president knew, and then a handful of engineers. And they didn't know until after they dropped the bomb. There was a person that was interviewed that worked in one of their facilities in Tennessee that said he looked at a, a dial, and if it got too high, he pressed a button. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's all he knew about his job, and that's all he needed to know. And he just got, he's like, hi, honey. His wife's, hi, honey, how are you? How was your day today? Oh, I just, just watched the dial. That's all I watched the dial. That's it. <laughs> That's great. And Didn't get too many hot. years of cancer from yeah. the radiation. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, that man probably had uh, a lot of Sudoku books just <laughs> stacked to the ceiling. <laughs> oh, that's too high. <laughs> <Press>. <laughs> right. So as far as us um, traveling to a planet, because right now, it, like maybe five to ten years ago, the idea seemed pretty far out there. In fact, maybe maybe five years ago, I remember somebody having a conversation with me saying, that um, they read somewhere it was like it's going to be at least 33 to 50 years before um, we're actually traveling to these places. Do you think it'll be sooner? And and if so, um, how successful do you think we'll be at this point? Very. I mean, if we're given, based on the companies that are uh, already doing the research and the like prototyping to get there, um, I would bet that we'll be on Mars by 20... Maybe not people, but the first ship um, of some kind will land there by no later than 2025. No later. First person, I'd say no later than 2026, 28. And, I mean, if the current advancement is to be, like, just scaled forward many years, then, I mean, I would say a fully functioning colony, 2035. Really? Thirty-five. I don't think I'll be. Uh, I don't think I'll be there. <laughs> I might. Uh, I might throw all that to the side. But Ryan wants to go. I do not. You don't want to go to Mars. Well, so here's the thing. So Elon Musk, who is the name in going to Mars right now, he's the only one who has really technology, actual proven technology right now that shows that they're gonna go there. Um, he has said that the average middle class person could sell everything and have enough to go to Mars and live there. Mm-hmm. So around two hundred thousand um, dollars to go to Mars and live there. I do not want to spend that much money <laughs> to go somewhere and then not be able to come back. Now, uh. if it eventually gets to the point, I mean, and if we're to believe the cost-wise, it could eventually get to the point to where we could go there like a vacation. I mean, it might be yeah. an expensive vacation, but the only thing is it's going to be a really long vacation because it's a minimum of like three to six months travel time one way. Right. Um, so, I mean, if it got to the point to where I could spend, like if I was wealthy and I could spend like $15,000 on a vacation to Mars, then yes, I would go because I could come back. But if it was like a one way ticket, absolutely not. I am very happy with my home here on earth. 
Correct. What if it was a one way, but it was like uh, you're going to be part of, I don't know, the uh, five, three to five year project and then they come home. Oh, and I could, as long as I'm coming back home, I'm pretty good with most things. Like if I, I used I'd to be needing to get paid. I, I need, <laughs> I need some financial compensation for that. Like never work again compensation. <laughs> well, I don't think they'd send you there for free. Think about the astronauts who are on the ISS. They get paid like $150,000 a year just to float around in space and be cool. That's fair. Some of their <laughs> videos are, are hilarious. The the ones where they're um, like showing off how they, how they wash their hair and how they eat stuff and, and whatever. Um, Chris Hatfield has the best like videos of he's a he was the Canadian commander back in I think 2014 mm-hmm. who he did a bunch of videos I think that might be who you're talking about with probably uh, who washes his hair he also made the first music video in space uh, it was great it's interesting with all the um, photographs and videos that we have from astronauts and from up in space uh, how many people still believe in the flat earth theory and oh, that, that every single one of these videos from all these astronauts are um, fabricated and, and, Oh, you can sit, look in the background, you can see the wires holding them up. There's like <laughs> these just really absurd, like uh, ab- absurd excuses and, and just overreaches for, for some conspiracy. Their arguments get even more thin now that are, that there's what five private companies that have orbital class rockets. Like, oh, but oh, no, no, they're, no, no. On, they're on board. They're in, they're in on it. Exactly. That's yeah. Everybody's that. Well, that's what, like we talked about with Kramer. That's what you have to do with the conspiracy theory. There's so many people that have to be in agreement mm-hmm. that we are going to not tell. And you can't, you can't pull off a surprise party without the person figuring out, you know, that Over 600,000 people would have to be involved for, for the earth to be flat. Yeah. It, it just doesn't <laughs> work. Flat. Somebody's going yeah, to, somebody's going to blow that whistle. Right. China, China would have definitely work. blown that whistle by this point <laughs> yeah. if they could get that on America. I really liked. Uh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I, I really liked uh, Kramer's response to that. It was like because he, he was talking. He, we had him on talking about the Facebook thing. We we got into flat Earth a little bit, and he was talking about somebody he knew. Um, and he just, he listened to him, and he told he's like, at some point I said, but but what's the purpose? Like, to, why, why are we trying to keep this a secret <laughs> if it's a secret? It's the government, man. Yeah, yeah man. It's them. Yeah. <laughs> the man. I, I can't talk to flat earthers. Be, being a space lover, I, I cannot talk to flat earthers without go, walking away from the conversation being like, okay, irate or mad. You or... are not intelligent. I, <laughs> I'm done here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any flat earthers that are listening to this, sorry about your luck. Uh, we, <laughs> we, we think we are stupid. called the Silent Planet Podcast. Yeah. So the silent disc podcast. Yeah. The floppy I, disc. Podcast. I suppose <laughs> if, if that's a surprise though, I off our first episode, I think it was a, an obvious, like we, we are taking a stance on this flat earth issue. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man, that, that, that decal that you all use is, is tube D. It's not that's 3D. true. Yeah. No, it, it doesn't, technically doesn't exist because it's on a computer. That's fair. <laughs> it's ones and zeros. Exactly. That's right. So it's even more fake. <laughs> <laughs> is there, is there anybody at this table that believes in aliens? Like the traditional sense I'm talking like not necessarily little green men, uh, maybe like a, like, I don't know, a space shrimp or something floating around out there eating like barnacles off of asteroids or something ridiculous. Just anything. Do I believe in it? Like, like that there's like somewhere, if we were to travel far enough or for long enough, then they'd be like, Oh, Hey, look, there's this, this space cucumber right there 
feeding <laughs> feeding on one of the- I, I wouldn't be too surprised if we could travel the four light years or or even because that's the closest, right? That's the closest other that might have a planet. You no, know, not that might. That's the closest star in general. Oh, okay. Well, you got to find like the conditions for life to exist are. It's it's not as easy as it seems. It's no. got to can't be too whole, cold. Can't be too hot. Uh, you need a what they call a spiral galaxy. That's important too. Like they the actually, shape of the galaxy is. Uh, th- there's a lot of conditions that have to be right. So if we could find. Um, a sustainable planet, and part of that would be like actual water when we show up. If we find water, then there may be the existence of plant life, alien then, plant life. Um, but, uh, but I don't know that we would necessarily find, you know, beings to the level that, you know, they can um, have their own society and, you know, what we would say have those uh, as characteristics of someone who bears the image of God. Language, thought, abstract um, ideas, um, society, and and that sort of thing, uh, moral law, things like that. I I'm not convinced necessarily that that's, and of course that would be necessary if they were going to find us. They mm-hmm. for sure would have to have the means to do so and the intelligence to do so. Uh, Spacebook got them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's Facebook for aliens. Yeah, <laughs> they they were they were actually making great strides, and then just the planet imploded on itself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One of their vaporizing machines. I, I would think it it cool, but we probably might find on a on a planet that had water and a source of water that grass actually grew, and there was alien grass. I don't assume it would be all that different from our grass, right? Probably be pretty similar to our own grass. Um, yeah, that'd be awesome, but um, it wouldn't be like finding an alien life form, right? Yeah, I, I think alien life, like what Sam said, would be to the extent at most, in my opinion, would be to the extent at most of other habitable planets. I mean, it's like uh, in, in our personal views, God didn't uh, build the a man everywhere on Earth. God put... Two or two people on the earth, and they spread throughout the earth. So it was an unpainted canvas. So why not with the rest of the universe not be an unpainted canvas with unspoiled continents and planets with grasses and trees and all kinds of unique plant life and uh, ocean life and things like that, but nothing like what Sam said, like with like that would be an image of God, no other humanoid. Now, do I think that that's impossible? No. And I don't think that invalidates Christianity, even if it were an intelligent species found somewhere else. I mean, I think that a good portion of uh, the our religion goes hand-in-hand uh, hand with faith. And, I mean, obviously there is a good portion of it that is unequivocally historical. But, I mean, there is a good portion that goes on with faith. And I don't think that just because... It's not said in the Bible that many stars away, there's these people, and I talk to them too. I mean, we, we aren't told about a bunny rabbit in the Bible. That doesn't mean that a bunny rabbit doesn't exist. Yeah. That's a fair point. And, and yeah, I mean, what, what would be the point in telling us about anything that we couldn't necessarily reach or get to, especially back in b- biblical times? Um, 
they wouldn't have any idea. They're just called everything stars. I don't think they really observed actual planets at that point. Um, the heavens. But there, there was a really interesting uh, theory, and I, I don't remember who it came from, so if anybody can kind of correct me on that, go, go for it. But basically his theory of, um, like, we have the Bible and, and Jesus here on Earth and the idea that somewhere in another uh, habitable planet that we can't get to right now, they've done the, like God and the father, son and the Holy spirit have done the same thing there. So they've got their own Bible and their own set of events and their own Jesus Christ figure that, that, you know, were, was persecuted, died for their sins, rose the exact same type of scenario. Um, I find, I find it interesting. It, the, at least the theory, and I, and I don't buy into it. I don't think so, but I was interested to know. Yeah. Well, it's it. when CS Lewis wrote about it and he, again, he wrote three books off of off of uh, the, this idea because he was also fascinated by space. There's certainly a lot of it, right? And so the idea that there's so much expansive, just empty space out there um, for just what life we have to be here on Earth, he felt like, well, wouldn't that be a waste of all of this, all of this space? But within space, most of that area is dead, right? You can't live in the vacuum between the worlds. So all the life has to exist on the worlds, even if you believe they exist on other worlds. There's still a lot of space there that's just dead space. You don't get around that. Even C.S. Lewis understood that. But I think in his, um, his imagination, he really wanted to be able to believe, and it's a romantic idea, right? It, it certainly makes for great storytelling, the idea that, you know, there can be life on, on other planets. Uh, and I can see the appeal there. Does it necessarily mean that's true just because it's a romantic idea and it makes for good storytelling? Uh, but C.S. Lewis's point on that was that when the characters in his, his story, um, out of the silent planet and then Paralandra and then that hideous strength, that's the three books the trilogy that he wrote and it's called gee i wonder where we got our name from his space trilogy yeah and we got our name from <laughs> out of the silent planet and when he wrote those books the idea was that um these other planets did have life but that life had not fallen yet they were still in a state of innocence as adam and eve was in the garden and it's the bringing humans into that existence that creates their fall for the first time is by adding human to the mix, fallen creatures, into what was a balanced paradise, essentially, that um, throws it all you know, to pot, so to speak. And the character centers around this, um, I, I think he was a professor um, of, I don't remember what it was, I want to say it was actually languages, because it seems like in the book, these these beings speak other languages, and he is able to figure out what uh, and communicate with them. So I think that was actually what his profession was, is that he was a linguist. He's not a physicist, whatever, but he's taken captive by somebody who is, and that's the person who's developed the means to get to these other planets. But when everything goes to pot, he ultimately has to also become, in that moment, kind of a Jesus figure and, and be the salvation for this, you know, fallen now creation because they've take they brought sin into the garden at that point and he has to be the redemption and the character's name in the book is ransom and that's for the reason that he ultimately has to pay a ransom 
um, in order to to have that. And that was C.S. Lewis kind of working his his idea of, you know, um, and it's a sanctified idea and a romantic idea of how that might play out. Yeah, if there was life on other worlds, then they, maybe they hadn't fallen yet in, in that instance. And uh, it's clever how it works itself out in the books as well until you get to the last one. The last one goes off the rails a little bit. He also had this thing with, like, um, medieval literature and um, um, he decided he was going to bring in um, kind of wizards. <laughs> the wizards show up in the last book, like Merlin they makes it off the gray. Um, yeah, Merlin <laughs> arrives on the scene with that hideous strength, and I'm like, this just really went off the rails at that point. Um, but uh, but at least the first two books make an interesting case for how that would work. You find it life on an alien world, but it's not a fallen world like ours is, right? And that's why they called Earth the silent planet because within this balanced world, these beings were able to, just as Adam could walk in the cool of the day of the garden and have communion with God, they have this this kind of communion with what would, I guess, be considered angels. And those angels can communicate with angels on other planets as well. So there's communication between these higher beings, not between like the life on the planet. And and one of those beings went silent at some point. And it's the being that would be the angel of this earth, of, you know, planet earth, which essentially was Satan in his rebellion. So... That was a really good synopsis. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what happened. Had you read those? No. No? That no. sounds really interesting. Uh, yeah, really yeah. It's, it it's, it's interesting. And, you know, that it, there's still plenty to see in the books. You know, that's not a full um, Spoiler. Um, exhaustive. Yeah, that's yeah. just a conceptual look I, at it. I'm but. not I'm not too much of a I'm, – I'm a, I'm a reader at times, but my attention span is so bad. <laughs> I can't, I'll wait for books the, are my, my friend. Yeah. I'll, I'll wait for the movie to come out. <laughs> I think, uh, I think now is probably a good stopping point. Uh, well, I wanted to ask one more question oh, yeah, before we, yeah, yeah. before we, uh, uh, shut her down. Like it seems to me, uh, all of us as, as kids go through the, in your kind of in that state of wonder when you're young and all the different paths you kind of consider. I'm going to grow up and be a police officer. I'm gonna, uh, we all probably at that point had that, like, I'm going to grow up and be an astronaut, mm. right? Or at least, like, I never did. Mild dream. Surprisingly. Really. But you do now, though. You have this, like. Well, so ultimately, no, I don't have that dream. Um, I mean, so with how cheap space flight's going to be, I'll probably eventually get to go to space for a semi, probably hefty fee. But I don't want to like have the job of being an astronaut because it sounds honestly exhausting and I don't like math and there's a lot of math involved. And you don't want to join the Space Force? No. You want to go to space, but you don't want to... I just want to visit. I just see. there to visit. And yeah. ultimately, the 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 whole... It, this might be slightly off topic of what you just asked, but I mean, ultimately, the depressing part is life on other planets doesn't really matter because if you're to believe the scientific eventuality of the universe it will all eventually decay to the point to where life is impossible that's yeah. depressing yeah. The, yeah the second law of thermodynamics yep yeah heat, entropy eventual, and all that death of the universe yeah is is constant oh my goodness oh no 
Have a good <laughs> yeah, night's sleep, kids. Yeah. Hey, right. <laughs> unless we can figure out how to how to move faster than the speed of light and actually make time travel backwards possible. Yes. Good luck. Yeah, with we that. need to do that. I was kind of disappointed because uh, that was actually my my conclusion of our um, the the space flight and the UFOs and all the sightings is that you know we're actually just seeing um, future people who figured all that out already and just are traveling. Back. Yeah, they've traveled to other planets, and they're coming back and being like, oh, crap, <laughs> we just showed up in the the 1980s, or we just showed up in the year 2000. This is the wrong time, man. Because they didn't <laughs> Accidentally sucked up yeah, a cow and scared the farmers in the 50s. <laughs> when they were moving that fast that they were also going backwards in time. But, you know, Ryan cleared that up for me here now. They can only go forward in time. So they're showing up, and it's like... They were intending to land in the the nineteen hundreds, and they showed up instead in twenty nine. Yeah, they, well, in in twenty twenty, <laughs> they arrived what with a, the corona. What a time to get here! They're like, oh my gosh, everybody's got masks on. <laughs> I really a- wanted to see the first plague, and now I arrived for this one. Let's try again. <laughs> That's why they're here for just like a split second, and then and then they're Gary, gone. Hit the warp drive again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's that one guy. That one guy was in charge. Right. Somebody was uh, not paying attention, and yeah, to the dial or whatever. Yeah, who, whoever it was <laughs> had had that one opportunity. To, <laughs> I know we're land in twenty twenty. Yeah. What was going on? Brock who Kermit. let who let that loser drive? <laughs> or he just got drunk. Drunk, <laughs> drunk's probably. A, I don't know if they uh, allow alcohol on space trips. In the process of your time traveling, that's going to be the thing. Whatever you do, don't don't never go to drink Earth. in space travel. Well, yeah, but <laughs> don't don't arrive at twenty twenty. <laughs> That'll be the year. There's like you don't want to show up. <laughs> then skip that one. You land in the wrong year, just jump to the next one. Yeah, yeah, be sure. Or the one after that, because apparently we have to wear masks longer. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll <laughs> we see. Have to double mask. We, we, there might be a legit rebellion at some point. I don't think they could. Uh, I don't know unless they start trying to trying to pay everybody and, and give us incentives to wear masks. Which um, I don't know. They're already talking about incentivizing the vaccine, so we'll see. They'll say, you know what? You just make me double mask. I'm going to Mars. That's right. <laughs> I'm There's out no of here. Diseases there. That's right. Well, that we know of yet. So. All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, Ryan. It's been no fun. Um, if you are listening to this podcast and you've enjoyed it, we are on Facebook. Like and share us there. Um, share us with your friends and family if they're ones that actually listen to podcasts. We are also available on Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and a whole slew of other ones I just don't feel like mentioning right now. Um, but yeah, as always, I'm Thomas. And I'm Sam. And this has been the Silent Planet Podcast, and we will see you all next week.